Amen. Well, it is a uh, it is a honor to have uh, Dr. Brian Powell and family with us today. We're so glad you guys are here, and uh, really looking forward to. Uh, I was excited when you said it's a new word. So, uh, anyway, we're just so glad you're here, and we can't wait to see what Jesus does. So, amen. Hey, just join me, and let's just pray for for him right now, okay? So, Jesus, we just thank you for Dr. Powell. We bless him and honor him. Uh, we do, God. We, we thank you that we have a district superintendent that's, that's not afraid of the kingdom, Lord. That, uh, Lord, I, I, I thank you for how we've seen the district grow and we've seen the new churches, but we've also seen the revitalization of dead churches, and we thank you for that. And we would pray this morning, God, that every word, Lord, that comes from his mouth is, is really just a direct line from heaven. Amen. It is an honor to be here with you today. Uh, this is our church. Um, we're members here. Uh, as you know, though, my job uh, doesn't always allow me to, to be here. In fact, most Sundays I am uh, on the road. Last night I was, uh, I was uh, leading an interview at a church in about an hour and a half from here and got home about uh, 11.30 last night. And so that's, that's just the life of, of what I do. But today I want to talk to you about something very important. I believe there is, um, more than ever, there is spiritual warfare going on in the church, uh, which creates distractions for believers. And I've become convinced lately that uh, spiritual warfare is happening not only in the church, but uh, in just about everything in the natural. Just about everything in the natural, there is a component of spiritual warfare going on that serves as a distraction to the believers who claim to be in Christ Jesus. And I believe it has gotten so bad that um, we don't even see it anymore. Uh, we've got to pray for God to give us eyes to see. Uh, you know what the Bible calls Satan, the prince of the power of the air, right? Uh, that means he is an influencer of culture. He is an influencer of the things that, that, that shape how we think, right? That shape what culture shapes us. It forms us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be formed by anything except Jesus. I don't want to be formed by anything except Jesus. Um, when, when Jake, Jake's not here, but y'all know Jake, right? Uh, when my son was uh, a teenager, we were pastoring in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, he and I signed up to take Brazilian jiu-jitsu together. And uh, he loved it so much that we ended up going to class several times uh, a week. The first month or so, I thought I was going to die, literally. Now, jiu-jitsu is a grappling sport. If you, if you know the difference between that and like karate, you're going to kick things in karate. In jiu-jitsu, you're actually trying to choke somebody. You know, trying to put somebody in an arm bar or a knee lock or something like that. And so uh, I wrestled in middle school and, and some in high school. And so I instinctively, when you wrestle, they teach you, you do not want to ever be on your back, right? Wrestlers don't want to be on their back. But in jujitsu, they teach you to get comfortable on your back. Well, I never could grasp that concept. Uh, uh, regardless of what position you're in, they want you to be able to submit uh, to your opponent or or. or Reverse the leverage, so to say. And so um, uh, after several months of training, Jake wanted to sign up for a tournament. And so a tournament is when people from all over a region, from different various jiu-jitsu uh, schools, can come and sign up. And you sign up according to weight class. 
and according to division, meaning whether you're a white belt or a blue belt or whatever it might be, uh, we were white belts at the time. And so, you know, I, I was convinced after a while that the reason Jake enjoyed going so much is because he got to abuse me without consequence, okay? Uh, constantly. I would go to church with like marks on my face and they'd be like, what happened? Oh, my son and I got in a fight. Um, but, but after uh, we signed up for this tournament, I was reluctant uh, because I did not think I was anywhere near being ready to, to do a tournament. But Jake loved it so much, and so f for him, I, I decided to, to sign up. And it was double el elimination. And I want to tell you, I was so proud of Jake because he ended up winning his division. Yeah? I mean, he got the medal. And uh, myself, on the other hand, I got um, the mat wiped with my face twice, and I was out. Okay, and, and so I, I left that day very proud of my son, but sort of embarrassed for myself. You ever, you ever been there? Sort of embarrassed because I, I, I felt like I let him down. I felt like I let my instructors down. And so I made up my mind after that that I was going to train harder. And when the next tournament came around, I was going to do better. So I went to our trainer uh, and asked him what it was. And he said, your problem is... He said, it's not strength. It's not the ability to apply the hold. You're learning all of that. He said, after about two minutes, you tank. Uh, he said, in fact, most of the guys in here, there's kind of a rumor about you. They hate grappling with you, uh, but they know if they can endure for two minutes that they're going to beat you because you're on your back at that point. Just uh, give up, you know. And, and so I, I, we, we signed up for another tournament that, that came to Raleigh again later that year. And between signing up for that tournament and the one I lost to increase my endurance, that is the season of my life that I started riding a bike. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if you ride a bike, you can ask Michael. He's been with me before. It will help your endurance. It will help your ability to breathe, your cardio. And, and so I rode bikes for the months leading up to this next tournament, and so my endurance level rose. In other words, I could breathe longer than two minutes on the mat, all right? And so, uh, also, I worked so hard because they put you in weight divisions. Like every 15 pounds, there's a new weight division. So if you're like 180 to 195, something like that, or you know what I'm saying? And until you get to 210 or 209 and up. Once it's 210 and up, it's heavyweight. Well, I worked hard because I wanted to be in the 195 to 209 weight class. And I went that day, and I, I hate to tell you that what you got to do to really get down to nothing to weigh in and I weighed in, and I weighed 211. And the guys that was over at the table signing up for the heavyweight looked like giants in my eyes. I mean, I felt like Joshua in the promised land, you know. Uh, I felt like a grasshopper. I weighed in at 211, and the first guy that I got matched against was six foot one and weighed 275 pounds. I wish I had pictures because I took a picture with every one of those guys um, after I beat them. The first guy on the mat that day, um, big guy, and I was nervous, and we locked sort of geese together, and he went for a leg sweep and missed, and, I put, and he went down on his back, and I got on top of him and choked him out within a minute. I ended up going, going five matches that day and won every one and never got winded. Thanks be to God, right? <laughs> so, um, you, you know, that I think is something that we need to think about as it pertains to training for the Christian walk. 
as it pertains to if you don't want to be submitted, you're going to have to learn how to resist the devil. You're going to have to learn how to train for this journey that we're on. And, and there was times, you know, when I, would, I was going to jiu-jitsu with Jake, not because it was something I wanted to do, but because it was something he wanted to do. You can't live or walk the Christian walk because of somebody else. You'll have to walk it because God's enabled you and called you to walk it. And, you know, after I ended up submitting to my instructor's advice, it was then that I was able to submit the opponent. And so I've got some advice from the instructor for us today here, right here, okay? And, and I, I want to tell you that there's a lot to be grasped from Scripture. If you would turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, this is one of my favorite passages, and we're going to begin reading in verse 7. Would you stand with me as we read? James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Say that with me. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He goes on to say, cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded, you know what it means to be double-minded? It means to have an affection for something else or two things at the same time. Let me tell you something. There can be no affection for anything else outside of Jesus. There is not even a distant second if you want the power for living in the spirit as it pertains to the kingdom. You say, well, God's first and this is second. No, there's no second. It's seek first his kingdom and righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. It's God first. There's no distant second. Everything else is second. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. In other words, pick up a cross. Intentionally bear it. And I love verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your word. And God, we're going to talk about some heavy things here. And God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. I don't want to be seen or heard. I want Jesus to be lifted up. So I humble myself in your sight. And you've said here in your word that you'll lift us up. So I'm praying that the words that I speak will be your words, that you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I, as I mentioned earlier, we are all in a battle we're all in a battle. Now, it's not a physical battle. It's not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. Paul says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? We're not out trying to, well, to, to conquer people, in other words. But there is, I want you to make no mistake about it, though. We do wrestle. The Bible says we wrestle principalities, we wrestle against powers, we wrestle against the rulers of darkness in this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what the Bible teaches. Now as it pertains to your spiritual walk, I want to ask you a question. How many of you ever feel like there's a monkey on your back? 
Yeah, a lot. You know what that is? That's spiritual. There's not an actual monkey on your back. Right? I mean, and, and sometimes it may feel like a light distraction, and other times it may feel like, like a 500-pound gorilla, right? And now, the Scripture teaches us that if we're going to resist the devil, when we learn how to resist the devil, that the devil has to flee. Now, I want to make something very clear to you today. The devil is not omnipresent like the Lord is. The Holy Spirit is not omnipresent. So when we use the word devil, we're really talking about all kinds of spiritual entities. You see, he's the ruler of the rank and file, and there is a rank and file, of the demons and principalities and dark rulers of this world. I'm telling you now more than ever, and a lot of times people will have experiences with, with dark forces, with something evil, and they're ashamed to talk about it. See, that's a tactic of him as well because they think somebody's going to think I'm crazy. I'm giving you permission today to talk about it, and you're going to hear some crazy stuff. But it's really not crazy. It's really how the enemy comes against us. If you want to understand how the enemy works, I don't think anybody has explained that better than C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters. Buy the book. Read it. You'll have a hard time with that one. <laughs> Satan is not omnipresent, so when we say we're fighting the devil or we're resisting the devil, we're saying we're resisting his rank and file of spiritual dark authorities in this world. They flood into our lives. They flood into our lives. Through media, they flood into our lives. They flood into our lives through programs, through music. I'm telling you, I'm not up here going to say everything in the world's wrong. I'm not saying that. I think it can all be redeemed when we learn how to view it through the lens of Christ, when we learn how to view it through the power of the Holy Spirit, because if you just view it through the natural, you're going to walk around with a monkey on your back. We've got to learn to resist. And so the first thing I'll share with you today, you all with me? I hope, I, I, I really hope you grasp this. This has helped me so much in, in, in the years, in, in uh, recent years. Learning to resist means learning to submit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. We live in a culture that does not like the word submit because they don't see it as beneficial. But the scripture throughout talks about structure. It talks about the structures that God has put in place. Resisting the devil requires submitting to God. Okay, what does it mean to submit to God? Well, it also means to submit to the authority structures that God has placed in your life. The word submit in our text comes from the Greek word hupatasso. Hupatasso. And it means, here's what it means literally. I place under. I submit to. I put, I put myself under authority. I'll tell you right now, I'm a man under authority. There's all kinds of authority structures in my life that God has ordained. And so God's kingdom, listen, operates by authority. There's a structure that God institutes in society, in the church, in the home, and it's all for your benefit. It's all for your benefit. I want you to think about how that works now. Uh, there's an authority also in the kingdom, and if you want to be completely yielded to Jesus, how many of you want to be completely yielded to Jesus? If you want to be completely yielded to Jesus, you'll have to submit to those authority structures that God's put in your life at any given time. Romans 13.1, here's what Paul says. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to resist the ordinance of God. And those who resist the ordinance of God will bring judgment on themselves. The apostle Paul wrote those words. You know anything about this man? <laughs> this is a man who, who the, the continent of Europe owes a great debt to the apostle Paul. He, he brought the, the whole continent, the gospel, before there was internet, before there was mail, before there was train. He brought the gospel to an entire continent. <laughs> When the apostle Paul wrote those words, he said, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. You know who the governor was of Rome? Emperor Nero. You know anything about Emperor Nero? Emperor Nero was a madman. You think Donald Trump's crazy. This guy was a madman. And he made it a priority. He made it. I was just kidding about Trump, man. People get all bent out of shape over that stuff. I'm going to tell you something. Donald Trump's my president. I see these people not my president. Yeah, he is your president. And the Bible says we've got to submit to those authority structures in our life. And some of you say the last guy wasn't your president. But Obama, he was my president too. And I prayed for both of them just the same. I prayed for both of them. Let me say something to you. God has put authority structures in our life, and as long as they're not forcing us to do something contrary to his word, that's not being forced upon us. We're to submit to the authority structures. Because God's put them in place for our benefit. I'm going to talk to you about that. But, but Nero, his hobby was killing Christians. You know what he did? He would put Christians on a stake and light them on fire to kill them while he was having guests in his garden, having a garden party, hors d'oeuvres while Christians hung on stakes dying. You think we got it bad? This guy was crazy. No matter how, you, how bad you think you've got it in this country, it isn't as bad as when Paul wrote those words in Romans 13. We ought to be thanking God. When the children of Israel were taken into Babylonian captivity, God told them to submit to the rulers, rulers and pray for them that what? They might have peace. God told the children of Israel in Babylonian captivity, Nebuchadnezzar was a madman too. He said submit that they might have peace. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children that went into the fiery furnace, they submitted to King Nebuchadnezzar and they ended up finding favor and working in the government for Nebuchadnezzar. I've got a whole sermon on how they found favor in the sight of God. And when the king tried to get them to kneel down, they had been preparing for that day. They didn't just hear about that decree a day before. They had made up their mind. They had been in prayer. And finally, it come to the place where they were going to have to do something contrary to God's word for their life. But up to that point, they had totally submitted to the king, even though he was a pagan. And you know what that day ended up being for them? The best day of their life. That was the day there was a fourth man in the furnace club. You understand? I mean, that was the day they met Jesus in the flesh and partied in the furnace. They never forgot that day. You understand? They never forgot that day. And it ended up changing Nebuchadnezzar's heart. So submitting to authority doesn't mean that God supports evil being inflicted on people by government. But it does mean that God ordains government for structure in this world. Do you understand we live in a fallen world? Depravity means we're all sinful. What government and structure and authority does is it puts a limit to some degree on that sin. Thank God. Imagine if there was no authority structures. Man, it would be so dark in this world we live in, right? If there was no restraint. You see, government is God's way of restraining. If you're going to submit to God, you're going to have to submit to the authorities he's put in your life. In other words, the results of 
depravity and sin would be a whole lot worse if God had not ordained government structures in this world. I think story a while back where there was a pastor that I knew who was, he was in a very small rural area and he was, uh, they, they had always been a dry county. And uh, they were voting, as many counties are, to, to become a wet county and, you know, thinking about the, and, and he had a real conviction over this. And so he stood up to the city council and the mayor in this, in this city, this little small town. And it became a big deal. I mean, in little town stuff like that, I mean, everybody knew what was going on, you know. Everybody had been to the, the public debates. Everybody knew the pastor and, and knew the mayor. And the mayor just despised this pastor for that. And, and the pastor, they ended up winning the vote that year and it didn't become, so the, the pastor sort of won uh, the town over the mayor's choice to bring in alcohol. And so the, the church had bought this little corner piece of property adjacent to their property and there was this building, just this old rundown building sitting on the property. And of course, they were gonna tear that down and do something else there, right? They'd already bought it. And um, after they bought it and after the vote went through, the mayor decides to make this little building, this little log building, a historical landmark and declares it so, so they couldn't tear it down. So he was using vengeance, getting back at them. So the mayor, was, he wasn't a Christian. And so uh, the, the, the pastor became more determined, he and his people, and said, oh, we're gonna tear it down anyway. We don't care what that mayor says. We don't care what the city, we're tearing it down. They're just trying to get back at us. And then the Lord came to the pastor in a word and said, submit to the mayor. And so the pastor went and sat before the city council in front of everybody and said, you know, Mayor, I'm gonna submit to you. You're right. We're praying for you. We're praying for the city. We're not gonna tear the building down. So now they'd spent this money on this property and they weren't even gonna be able to use it. Uh, when, that, when that meeting ended that day, the, um, <laughs> the pastor was walking out and somebody else on the council, a guy who was really wealthy and also who wasn't a Christian, didn't go to church anywhere, never surrendered his life to Jesus, the mayor turned to this guy on his council, whom I guess they'd been buddies to some degree, and he said, I've got that preacher where, right where I want him. Everybody laughed except the rich guy. He didn't like that. He didn't like the fact that this, that this um, mayor was uh, manipulating the system to get it, even though he wasn't a Christian. And so this rich guy who had all kinds of money decided that he was gonna buy the land from the pastor. And so he ended up, because he knew he could get permits to tear the building down, the mayor would let him do it. So he ended up, he called the pastor and said, what do you take for that piece of land? The pastor said, well, we don't need it now. I guess 20,000 to do. He said, 45? Gave him $45,000 for it, then turned around and gave it back to him. See how God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There was no way they could have naturally saw that coming. There was no way they could have naturally determined that outcome. But God has a plan beyond anything we can see, right? You see, those in the kingdom of God operate under authority. Luke chapter seven provides a great example of God's authority on display. Listen, real quick, I'm gonna do this real quick. There's a centurion whose servant is sick and he comes to Jesus and he says this, I did not think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority. 
I got soldiers under me and I say go and he go. I say to one go and what? He goes. I say come and he comes and, and do this and he'll do it. And Jesus heard those things coming out of this centurion's mouth and he marveled the scripture. You know what it means to marvel? I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. I am a man placed under, I, he didn't say I'm a man with authority, he said I'm a man under authority. I, I want you to notice something there. Um, what was he saying when he said, I say to one go and he goes, and I say to another come and he comes. He wasn't saying that his men followed his commands because he had authority over them. He was saying they followed his commands because of those above him. Who was above him? The entire Roman Empire. Right? And, and so when we learn the power of submission to authority structures in our lives and to the things God, the, 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 the situations God brings upon our life, structures in the family, structures in society, especially structures in the church, we'll learn what the pow power of the kingdom of God is all about. I think of my wife over the years. She's not heard this sermon. Um, I love you, Heather. You know, I'm going to say something. She didn't sign up for ministry. She didn't sign up for it. And at times, it's been very tough on her. Like, I, I sort of enjoy navigating some of that stuff, you know. It's just sort of my nature. But it's been tough on her. She's introverted. She doesn't do well in big crowds. Guess where you're at in, as a pastor? You're always in the crowd, right? She isn't the typical pastor's wife. I can't tell you how many interviews over the past 21 years were, do you play the piano? No, she doesn't play. Do you lead the women's ministry? No, she doesn't lead the women's ministry. She's left high-paying jobs to follow the call of God, not on her life, on my life. She is submitted to the call of God on our family, not because she necessarily feels a call on her own life, but because she sees the hand of God at work in my life. She is submitted to, to that process because she has seen me chasing Jesus with all my heart and so everything that I'm doing affects her in a positive way. She's left her family. She's left sick family members, uh, mother, sister. and She's left everything she's known to submit herself to the leading of God in our family but the call of God on my life. She'll be the first to tell you God didn't call me. Won't you? Now I know I, I've sat beside in these committee meetings, well, if God calls one, he calls both. I think she would argue with them about that. I simply don't agree with that. I think it's true sometimes, but other times, I, 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 other times one believes in the calling of their spouse to such a degree that they're willing to submit to God's authority on the family through the spouse. Now, Lord knows Heather isn't following me. Uh, She's way smarter than I am. Way smarter. She knows all. You know how smart she is? I got one story. She won the North Carolina, in high school, she won the North Carolina State Medical Spelling Bee. That's how smart she is. You liking this story? No. Those are like, you know, like words that's got like 25 letters in them. You know what I'm saying? She's not following me but she knows the one I'm chasing. She knows the one I'm chasing after, and she knows that I'm a man who's placed myself under authority. 
And she's made a conscious decision to leave everything and surrender her life to Jesus under the authority that he's established in our lives through the ministry. And I've experienced God move in my life in all kinds of ways when I'm trying to figure something out or when I get my eyes on something or, you know, and, and, and then I realize later he's moving in my own life because of things she's praying. <laughs> See how that works? God will move and direct me in my life because of things she's praying for the family. She's praying, God, show Brian. <laughs> I believe in your call on his life, and I'm surrendered to that, so show him. She submitted to God not because of me, because of the authority that's been established in our relationship. That's the power of submission. Now, the only way you're going to be able to resist the devil and him flee from you is to be submitted to the authority structures God's placed in your life. You got that? Point one. Point two. I want to talk to you about keys to the kingdom real quick. When Jesus died on the cross, the last thing he said was what? Three words. It is finished. The Bible teaches that Jesus then descended to the center of the earth. That's what the Bible teaches. The center of the earth is a holding place that the Hebrew text refers to as Sheol. And and, and in uh, the Greek text, it's Hades, same word. Sheol, Hades. Same word, two different languages, Hebrew, Greek. Uh, I wrote a thesis one time in seminary where they had me trace the concept of hell or eternal separation from God from the first time it showed up in Leviticus in the Old Testament all the way through the Old Testament, through the intertestamental period writings, the pseudopigrapha writings, all the way through the New Testament and into the early church fathers. Now, the... the in this place, Sheol, it, it, there's a compartment set aside for the wicked. That means those who died in their sins. And then there is a compartment called paradise or Abraham's bosom. That's also illustrated in the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, right? You remember the story? The rich man dies, he goes to Hades, and he can see those being comforted uh, across a great um, you know, vo- uh, gap. And what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross that professed faith in him? Today, you will be with me, where? In paradise, right? Again, so there it was, paradise in the center of the earth in Sheol. The Bible teaches that then Jesus, see, Jesus wasn't going to heaven as we think of it now when he left the cross. No, he was going to the center of the earth where Sheol was, where a place for the wicked and paradise, those being comforted, uh, awaiting on Jesus' finished work on the cross. And so the Bible teaches that Jesus descended there for three days and preached to the captives. Now, now we've been taught over the years that Satan and his legions of demons are, are in hell, but they're not in hell. I know what the end of the book says. I know where they're headed, but they're not in hell yet. You know where they are? They're here. They're right here. Um, uh, Friends, they're roaming to and fro through the earth. When Satan fell from heaven, we read, he wasn't cast into hell forever. The Bible says he fell to earth. He, He became the prince of the power of the air. He became the spirit that works in the lives of the children of disobedience, the Bible says. When Satan came before God in the book of Job uh, with the sons of God, what did God say? He said, Satan, from where do you come? What did he say? From going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. 
Now, the end times, again, we know what's going to happen, right? We know where Satan and the legions of, of demonic or, or spiritual entities are going to end up. They're going to be in hell forever, but they're not there now. What do you think that monkey is on your back? What do you think that is whispering to your thought life constantly? When Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says he led captivity captive. I thought for a long time what that means. That means those that were the, the righteous that had died, he, took, he preached to the prisoners and then he took all who had been held captive, who were righteous, he took them captive. <laughs> they were captivity and now they're captive by Jesus. And he took them, uh, friends, to the third heaven where now they are in for, forever in the presence of God. And so that's what happened there and he brought the righteous dead out and delivered them to the presence of God. And the Bible teaches that some of those spirits that they came out after the resurrection and appeared to people in Jerusalem. Okay? Then the Bible says Jesus took the keys to the kingdom. Now that's interesting to me because where did he get the keys to the kingdom? Yeah, uh, Colossians 2. I'll just read it for you real quick. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you of your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, Listen, verse 15, Colossians 2, 15, having disarmed or spoiled, <laughs> the King James uses the word spoiled, say spoiled, spoiled, spoiled what? principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them. Triumphing, triumphing means being victorious, triumphing over them in it. So, so through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus had conquered and triumphed over the principalities and powers of this dark world. They're still here, they're still here but he's defeated them. You know, anytime you go to some sort of competition, somebody's going to get defeated and somebody's going to win. In an athletic competition, somebody's going to get defeated, somebody's going to win. The, those that's been defeated, they're still there. They've just been defeated. There's another Greek word used in, in this passage meaning to disarm or to spoil. And it is the word apekduomai. Say that, it's fun to say. Apekduomai. Um. That word pertains to a ceremony that a Roman general would have performed in the presence of a defeated army. Apex duomai, disarm. I want you to think with me for a moment. When a Roman general would win a battle, the leader of the defeated regime would be summoned to bring his entire army to a public place, public spectacle usually an open field of sorts. And then the leader of the victorious army, the general, would march out with all of his men and they would surround them. And the leader, the general of the victorious army, in front of all of his men, in front of all the defeated men, would walk up to the defeated general face to face and he would begin to rip the medals off of his uniform. He would begin to rip the badges of honor off of his uniform. And as he ripped the defeated leader's garments, the badges of honor off of his garments, he would say things like this. Every victory you've ever won is now mine. Everything you've ever conquered is now under me. 
We have defeated you and now we disarm you publicly. Apex duomai. <laughs> that is apex duomai in, in action. Friends, let me say this to you. Let me say this to you. I want you to hear me. Jesus did not take the keys to the kingdom from Satan and hell. That's not what happened because that's not where Satan was. He took them away from him right here in the atmosphere. He did it. He made a public spectacle of them right here in the spiritual realm. The angelic hosts of heaven gathered around, all of Satan's demons gathered around front and center. Jesus called them and Jesus said, Satan, whatever you've gained, I've now conquered. Satan, whatever was once yours is now mine. You have been defeated. Jesus performed an apex duomai in the spiritual realm right here here in this world and then he ascended to heaven and took his proper place at the right hand of the father what does that mean for us and here's where I've been trying to get to the whole time submit to God resist the devil and he has to flee when you resist him so the question begs to be answered, what does it mean to resist the devil? You want me to use a different mic? What does it mean to resist the devil? How many of you know how to resist the devil? You know, you resist the devil not because of, of who you are, you can resist the devil because who you've placed your life in authority under. Who we've surrendered our lives to. Not because of what we've done, but because of the apex duomai, the thing that he's already accomplished, right? You understand? Not because of any authority that we have. Not because I say, I'm a man who has authority. I'm, because I say, Satan, I'm a man who's under authority. You've already been stripped. Thanks be to God. So how do we resist the devil? Well, how do you do it? I know how I do it. I want to know how you do it. You think him off? No, you can't think him off because he don't read thoughts. He don't have that power. You kick him? That's not going to work. Tie him up in the basement? I wish I could. How do you do it? There's only one way to do it. You got to speak to him. When's the last time you spoke to the devil? Too many Christians live in defeat because they don't know how to speak to the devil. They won't speak to the devil, and they think people think they're crazy because if they do speak to the devil. I don't care what people think. Resisting the devil requires speaking to the devil. Throughout the Bible, every time you see Jesus resist the devil, what's he do? He speaks to him. Every time you see the disciples resisting the devil, what do they do? They're speaking to the devil. It, and it's not going to be any different for you and for me. So let me ask, again, when's the last time you spoke to the devil? When's the last time you spoke to the, the, the evil forces in the atmosphere? I've watched people, I watch people go through in, in constant turmoil in their lives, constant monkey on the back, and never identify it as spiritual warfare. They only identify it as something in the natural. They go to doctors, they go to counselors, they go to psychiatrists, all Christians, mind you, and they go to all, everybody under the sun, yet they never claim the victory that the apex duomai has already established in our lives. They live in constant defeat because they don't know how to resist the devil, and it's not that hard. What happened when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness? What happened? You think he saw the devil with his eyes? 
You remember that? He's, he's out in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and Satan shows up. You think that was a physical? Satan didn't show up in the physical. He didn't show up and sit down. He came to him in a thought, just like he does you. He came to him, at the, one version says, in a moment of time. I mean, we've trivialized, we've trivialized the devil in our culture. I mean, we say, we look at him like a cartoon character, like he's going to show up with a pointy tail and a pitchfork or something, you know. Like, you know, Tom and Jerry, where there's the, bad, the evil guy on this side and the good guy on this side. And there. No. Jesus didn't see the devil, and you'll probably never see him either. You'll interact with the spiritual rulers of this world that's under him. You see, he's too important for you. The devil's too important for us. He's dealing with all the bigwigs in the world. Again, he's not omnipresent. So when we speak of the devil, we're speaking of the rank and file. And part of his scheme, part of his scheme is not to make his presence known. So you don't identify it as spiritual. He's always hiding in the shadows. So how does he come against us? He comes against you and me the same way he came against Jesus. You all with me? In a thought. Shrouded in a thought. Disguised in the way we think, in the things that we allow to impact the way we think. <laughs> you see, there's always a narrative going on, right? And by the way, all you think you got to watch the news, all that is is a narrative. And it's more spiritual than you think. It's a narrative. Well, I got to know what's going on. Well, read this. It tells you what's going on. It tells you what's going on. Spiritual entities and demons manipulate our feelings and impress lies upon our lives, not in the physical, in the mind, in the spiritual. Think about the, the physical things that we see. The reason they develop such a stronghold in the mind is because of something spiritual going on in the atmosphere. They don't physically enter our mind and adjust something. It's spiritual. Matthew 4, the devil come to Jesus in a thought and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to be turned to bread. He'd been fasting for 40 days. You think he was hungry? Bread sounded good. Bread sounds good to me right now. Bread sounded good. Turn these, what Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus, think about what happened right there. Jesus spoke to a thought. He spoke, he verbalized himself to a thought. Then the devil took him to the highest point of the temple. And you think he did that literally? No, he took him there in a thought. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. God will command angels concerning you. And Jesus said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus once again spoke. He, he's given us examples right here of exactly how we do it. He spoke to a thought. The, the devil took him to, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, all of this I will give you if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written. <laughs> worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Jesus spoke to a thought. Satan does this to us as well. Can you all just, are you all with me there? Does he do that to you? He does it to me. And Satan takes us to these places in our mind where he defeats us. 
he, he takes us captive in our thoughts. And the only way to defeat him is to do the same thing Jesus did, and that is to speak. It is written. You know, I walked right back there as we were worshiping earlier, and you know what I was doing? I wasn't praying to Jesus. I was talking to the enemy. I said, I rebuke you, enemy, in the name of Jesus. It is written. We're here to worship the Lord our God alone. You have no power in this place. We, you've been disarmed. See, we kind of feel weird sometimes. You're not praying to Satan. You're talking to him. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The enemy comes against you. You pray, you praise, you plead the blood of Jesus. You know what all that does? Praying, praising, speaking to the enemy, pleading. The, it's speaking to the atmosphere. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. How does that happen? It happens when we speak. If we're ever going to learn to defeat the devil, we're going to have to learn how to speak our thoughts. Speak to our thoughts. I've made my mind up of this, in this job especially. Everywhere I walk in, everywhere I walk in, every church, I'm praying before I go in but I'm speaking to the devil when I get in. I'm speaking to him when I get in. And you say, oh, man, that just sounds nuts. And I, Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But Jesus did it. The disciples did it. You know what? I want to build a reputation among demons where they say, oh, man, that Brian Powell guy's coming. We're not going to hang out here. Yeah, I want that reputation because I'm not. And see, here's their main tactic. It's fear. I'm going to leave you with this story. And this is a story I've been reluctant to tell over the years unless the Lord really lays it on my heart to tell it. But I'm going to tell it. And what I've learned is every time I tell it, people relate to it, and it's something they've been reluctant to talk about as well. My wife and I, early in ministry, we lived in a house that the church owned, and there was something evil about that house. I don't know what that means. I'm just telling you that we sensed something in that house. Other people sensed things in that house. I'm like, can you get us another house? <laughs> you know. But, but the basement of that house is where the washer and dryer was and, and it wasn't just a basement. It was like you go down the steps and then there's this area they'd sort of tried to fix up but it's still a basement, you know, and then you go way around that into this sort of brick part that's these cinder blocks that, and, and there's this dangling light with the chain, you know. I mean, like a horror movie kind of thing, you know. And, and you know what? I, I've, I've, you know, I've participated in all kinds of, like when I was young, we did haunted houses and things like that. That kind of thing doesn't scare me. But when I walked through the basement of that house, I mean, the hair on the back of my neck felt like something breathing on me. She wouldn't, didn't even like to go down there. Hey, can you take these clothes down for a minute? You know, we're not to live by the fear of the enemy being forced upon our life, right? And so we just sort of lived with it for a little while, and then after about a year, I guess, or nine or ten months of living there, one night we were laying in bed, and I, was, I woke up, and it felt like a hundred pounds pushing me into the mattress. And all I could see in the darkness was this sort of outline of something 
I, just sort of breathing on me. See why I'm reluctant to tell this? This happened. She'll verify it. And I laid there, and I was so scared. See, I'd not been doing this long at that point. I was so scared, I could not speak. I was wanting to wake her up, like, what is she going to do, jump on its back, you know? And then finally, after, I don't know, several minutes of laying there, the Holy Spirit whispered, why are you laying there? And I began to say with as much as I could muster, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And when at the second I started saying that, the thing, the weight lifted, and then it looked like sort of in the corner of the room, and what was I going to do then, go back to bed? Man, I always sleep with my Bible on my nightstand. It's the last thing I want to put my hand on and read before I go to bed. I got up and got my Bible. I didn't even open it, and I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. God said, what are you going to do, stay in the bed? I got up and chased the thing out of the room. I started walking through the house at 3 o'clock in the morning, rebuking every spiritual entity that was dwelling in that place. My daughter was a little baby in a crib. I went in, my, Heather woke up and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm rebuking the devil, and I went in her room and in her crib I put my hand over her head talking as loud as I'm talking right now and I spoke to the enemy and told him he had no authority over her I went in my son's room put my hand on his head and then you know where I went I went down in that cellar I went down in that basement I didn't turn a light on I wanted to walk into the darkness because I'm the light and I rebuked the devil in that basement that night there wasn't a hair on the back of my neck standing up there was no more no more mind games took place there it fled we never had another issue with that I sort of fell in love with, I want to be a demon hunter, you know. I, I'm not going to let them scare me. I want to be the one that scares them. See, that's their game. It's fear. When really, the apex duomite, they've already been disarmed <laughs> by the one who you've submitted, the one who has authority over you. It's not because of authority you have. It's because of the one who has authority over you. I later found out that someone who had lived in that house, that there was all kinds of wickedness that had happened in that basement. Adultery type, sexual, orgy type. And that the day the person moved out, they cast a spell with some sort of, I don't even know what it was, walking around the house. We say, oh, that's nonsense. I don't believe in that stuff. Well, if you don't believe in the spiritual, then you don't believe in any of this. That day it was broke, though, broken for our family. Now, I've never had an experience that, um, that powerful again, but I have had other experiences. And what I've learned is when I've told this story, it releases other people. It gives them victory. It says, you know what, I've had similar situations where I've sensed something like but I've never talked about it. You wouldn't believe at the missionary revival last week, I shared that story, and you would not believe the people that come to me and said, wow, man, I've had that same sort of thing happen. They told me stories that was way past my story. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they're scared to talk about it. See, that's the enemy. You're crazy. You tell that, people will think you've lost your mind, right? You got to just live with that. What? Live with that fear? I'm not going to live with it. I'm not going to live with it, and you don't have to either. I want you to stand with me. Logan, can you come and play something?
I want you to bow your heads right now. If you need to submit yourself to God, resubmit yourself to God, if God's give you revelation and clarity today that's beyond where you've been living, I want you to do that right now.